Well, I'm glad you came tonight. Let's take our Bibles, turn to Romans chapter number 7 tonight. Romans chapter number 7. I'd like to say it's uh, always good to have somebody to holler at. Amen. I enjoy preaching. Appreciate you coming. Hope to be a blessing to you tonight as we look at the Word of God once again. So far in this book, we've learned in chapters 1 through 3 the, the truth that all men came into the world as sinners before the Lord, needing a Savior. And we know that's true. That was our condition. Then we learn in chapters 3 through 5 that true righteousness and salvation come only by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and His atonement there on the cross of Calvary, what He did for us. And the last few messages we saw in chapter 6 and the first six verses of chapter 7, how that in Christ Jesus, believers are dead to both sin and the law by the death of Christ. Uh, we identified in His death. And so uh, our identification with that means that sin no longer has any control over us and neither does the law. Accordingly, we're not married to the law anymore, but we're married to Jesus. We're free from the law. And those are some blessed truths. Now, in the verses before us tonight, we're going to be here in Romans chapter number 7. We're going to begin here in verse number 7. And uh, this evening, Paul illustrates his teachings about the law of God by sharing uh, what might be considered some intimate truths here. And he takes a, a look at his own life. He'll, you'll see him reference himself throughout this. In these verses through, through to the end of the chapter, Paul gives us somewhat of what we might call a spiritual autobiography. And in these verses, Paul reveals a side of himself that most of us try to keep deeply buried. We don't like to, to talk about the bad side, do we? We like to show folks the good side, but we don't like to think about our bad side because we all had one. And uh, but verses 7 through 13 tell us of the days in Paul's life before he came to know Jesus. He takes us back to a time in his life when the law ruled everything he was and did. Now, so Paul was a, a Jew's Jew. He was a Pharisee. A Pharisee's Pharisee. <laughs> uh, he was good at what he did as far as a Jew. And uh, he, he embraced the law. And we're, we're going to see some things about uh, Paul's life before he came to Christ. It, takes us back to a time in his life when the law ruled everything he was and did. And he shares with us what he has learned about the law of God. It isn't pretty, but it's teaching that every one of us needs to hear. So we begin here with Paul telling us about his relationship to the law before he was transformed, before he got saved. And when he, before he was transformed from darkness into light and from a self-righteous Pharisee, which is what he was. He was a self-righteous Pharisee uh, to God, a God-conscious saint. Amen. So let's read the verses, and then we'll come back and take a look at the verses one at a time. Verse number 7, down to verse number 13. Verse number 7, Paul says, What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, 
sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceives me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which was good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin might... Uh, by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Now when he says there in verse 12, wherefore the law is holy. We know the law is holy. It came from God. Amen. Whatever came from God, God is is holy. And the commandment is holy and just. When he says just, it rightfully condemns the sinner. When we look at the law, we find it condemns us. It does so in a right way. It's righteous and it's condemnation of us before we come to Christ. And it says it's good. Well, it's good and we're going to see this. It prepares the sinner for Christ. And it prepared the Apostle Paul for Christ. And that's really the bottom line of of what we're going to see tonight. First of all, verse number 7, we see that the law reveals sin. The law reveals sin. Paul begins here with a question, is the law sin? Um, and he said, God forbid. In other words, of course not. You know, forget about thinking that, even, even thinking that way. The law came from the Lord, and therefore it cannot be evil. However, while the law is good, it's also vital uh, to a proper understanding of the nature of sin. Uh, the, uh, the law shows us the nature of sin. Understand that before coming to the Lord, when Paul was known as Saul, remember those days? Before the Damascus Road, he was known as Saul. He was a man that was schooled in the law. Okay? He was a born a Jew. They were taught the law. And he was brought up in the way such, such that he, uh, he knew the law of God. Look at uh, Acts chapter number 22 with me for a minute. Hold your place there. We're going to be back in Romans 7, but look at Acts 22, and we see uh, Paul speaking to a crowd in Jerusalem that was in an uproar. This is after he was saved. They were in an uproar over his doctrine, and this is what he had to say about himself. He was given an opportunity to talk to the crowd by the by the soldiers that were kind of trying to protect him from the crowd that was wanting, really, they were wanting his blood. They were ready to kill him, and they, they, these guys actually rescued him. The soldiers rescued him, and uh, he said, do you mind if I talk to this crowd? I think I, I, think I might kind of get through to them. And uh, here in, verse, in chapter 22, in verse 1, he is speaking to them in their own Hebrew tongue according to the last verse of verse 21. He says, men, brethren, and fathers, hear ye my defense, which I make now unto you. And when they heard that he spake in the Hebrew tongue to them, they kept them the more silence. And he saith, and notice this now, he says, I am verily a man which am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city of Cilicia, yet 
brought up in this city, notice he says, at the feet of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was a Pharisee. And he was a very well known at that time teacher of the law. He knew the law. And he sat at the feet, learned. He says, I, uh, I was brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel and taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers and was zealous toward God as ye are all are this day. <laughs> um, in fact, he talks about his zealousness there in verse 4, and I persecuted this way, talking about Christians, unto the death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. So uh, he, he talks about uh, his life under the law. He was a Jew. He was taught in the law. And back in our text, Paul states the truth that it, it, it was the holy law of God that taught him what he came to know about sin. Um, he, he mentions here that the, the sin of lust, and uh, he, he, he says that the, the law, uh, had the law not said, thou shalt not covet, he would have never known what lust was. And not that he wasn't lusting, but it, it, by the law came the knowledge of sin in his life. Look at verse 7 again. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. Now, um, he isn't blaming his sin on the law here. He is merely pointing out the truth that the law made plain exactly what sin really was. That the law identifies sin. Amen? It does. The word, the word of God identifies sin. You'll take and share somebody uh, with somebody the Word of God and, and, and uh, the, word, the Word of God calls what they're doing sin. And to the, you, you, don't be, you don't judge me. I said, I'm not judging you. I'm just reading you what the Word of God says. Yeah? I'm not making the judgment. The Word of God's making the judgment. You're living in this and, and you're sinning. You're sinning in that. And uh, people get uh, all bent out of shape over that. But he wasn't blaming the law. Paul had lived his life trying to keep the letter of the law so precisely that he missed the whole spirit of the law. He'd been trained to believe that sin was something a person did in the physical realm. In other words, you everything if you were if you were violating the law, we we can see that you're violating the law. Is that true? Well, if you, you can see people violating the law, but can somebody be violating the law on the inside and you not see it? You can, can't it? Yeah. And and Paul learned that sin was something that began in the heart. And that is precisely what Jesus taught in Matthew 15. I'm not going to have you turn there, but in Matthew 15, verse 18 and 19, let me read you those words. And Jesus said this. He said, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man, for out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. There's a lot of sins of the heart that may never be manifested on the outside, but they're still just sin. They're sin is what they are. Most of them do get manifested on the outside, though, by the way. Eventually, it's going to come out. Now, uh, Jesus taught um, that it comes from the heart, yet the natural man or lost man 
can really never see this truth until it is revealed to him by the Spirit of God, which uses the law of God to bring about conviction of sin in the heart of man. Uh, it's, it's almost humorous to, to watch. Uh, uh, there's, a, there's a little video I have back there. It's only 19 minutes long, but it's called The Good Test. And if you've never watched The Good Test, you ought to look at it. Because the, the man that made the, 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 uh, the video, he uh, approached folks that uh, they began thinking, hey, I look pretty good in, in light of the law until he began asking them a few questions. And they began to realize that they were dirty, rotten sinners, just like the rest of us. Amen. Hey, they figured that out. The conviction of sin in the heart of man. We see that the law reveals sin. It does. Second thing we see in verse 8, we see that the law revives sin. Verse 8. But sin, notice what it says here, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. Now, uh, Paul tells us that sin takes the law as an opportunity to tempt us to evil. The, the word occasion literally means an opportunity. If you look it up, uh, it's uh, defined as an opportunity. And sin sees the law as its opportunity to create within us a strong desire for sin. That's what that word concupiscence is talking about. Concupiscence means to desire greatly. It's a strong desire or lust. It's a deep longing. You might call it an inordinate desire. Uh, you know, it's just an overwhelming desire to do the wrong thing, to, to desire or lust. So Paul is telling us that sin, talking about his sin nature, caused him to have a strong lust because the law had forbidden covetousness. And uh, it stirred up that great desire within him. And uh, we see this same truth around us and, and in us all the time. For instance, we see a sign that says, keep off the grass. Now what does that make you want to do? You want to walk on the grass, don't you? Yeah, we, we, we just do. Uh, we're rebels is what we are. Um, when we see a sign that says speed limit, 55 mile per hour, wait a minute, preacher, you quit preaching and go on to meddling. Okay? 55 mile per hour. We want to push the limits and do at least 60 mile per hour and maybe even up to 64 mile per hour because we heard one time that if you're under 10 mile per hour under the speed limit, they'll, they'll let you slide with that. So we push the limits to see can we get by with it. We, we, we reason in our hearts, well, if they really wanted me to do 55, they should have made the speed limit 45. But the speed limit is 55, you know. And, and we're uh, seeing how much we can get away with. The law always reveals an attitude within the sinner that wants to try to get away with breaking it. We can see exactly that, that it, it as a, uh, the same process that brought sin into the world to begin with. God, God made man in his image and placed him in a perfect environment and God gave man 
access to everything in creation with the exception of one tree. Look at, look at Genesis chapter number 2. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter number 3 also. Look at Genesis. Don't lose your place there in Romans. Okay, we're going to be right back. All right. Um, here in, in Genesis 2 in verse number... Um, look at verse number uh, 16. Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. One law. One law. Okay? Yet when that one law was given, there arose an opportunity for sin to, to initially enter mankind. The, that one law proved to be the springboard that the serpent used to entice mankind to sin. There in chapter 3, in verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Uh, began questioning the word of God. Yeah. It's began, and, and that's usually where uh, it begins. People questioning God's word. Yeah. And s- Satan was questioning here. A woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, and neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. <laughs> liar. Yeah, he was a liar, right? For God doth know, in other words, God's holding out on you. God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as God's, knowing good and evil. Well, you got her looking at the tree, right? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave unto her husband with her. He did eat and the eyes of them both were open and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Well, opportunity. There was an opportunity there and the serpent used that opportunity that one law to entice mankind into sin. Now understand that the last part of the verse 8 of our text there, back, back in our text, the last part of the verse that says, um, uh, therefore, for without the law sin was dead. That's what it says, the latter part of the text. He's not teaching that before the law there was no sin. From reading the Bible, we can clearly see that sin was rampant then as it is now, right? I mean, during Noah's day, people were doing evil. And that's the reason why God destroyed uh, the world with water. Um, What this means here is that where the law does not exist, the full knowledge of what is wrong does not exist either. When the line is, is drawn by the law, the rebellious spirit within man wants to immediately step over that line. That's the meaning of the word trespass and transgression. You've heard the word trespass in Scripture and transgression. It it means to go beyond the legal bounds to step over the line. And God draws a line in the sand and and, uh, 
mankind takes the dare. Said, "Well, I think I will step over that line." Look at um, look at First Timothy chapter number one. Paul addressed uh, the law from this aspect uh, to uh, Timothy, the young preacher, and uh, in First Timothy one, look at verse number eight. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 1, verse 8. And uh, Paul told Timothy here, he says, But we know that the law is good, if a man use it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. If we were righteous, we wouldn't have to have a law, would we? Just wouldn't have to. But for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. (laughs) Wow. That's what the law does, isn't it? It points out. Um, our lawlessness back in our text. The third thing that we see is found in verses 9 through 11. And that is we see that the law ruins sinners. The law ruins sinners. In these verses, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us that there was a time in his life when he felt alive. When he was following after the law uh, and, and was keeping it externally, he was doing so because he thought that it was the means to his salvation. Now, he was wrong, but he, th- he thought that's what it was. And he kept the law in an effort to gain eternal life. And, that's, and, and he thought he was doing quite well. Verse number nine, look at verse number 9 of our text. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. Look at Philippians chapter number 3. Philippians chapter number 3. Paul talks about his previous life here and talks about the confidence that he had, the confidence in his flesh. And uh, he's telling the Philippian Christians uh, um, you know, we we have no uh, no business having confidence in the flesh. If anybody uh, thinks they had confidence in the flesh, I've got got, uh, more reason than they do. Notice verse number 4. Well, let's back up to verse 3. For we are the circumcision, talking about Jews, which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Because he did trust his flesh one time. Okay, He was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, he was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. I mean, that shows he he had great zeal, right? I mean, he was for the law. And Christ came to do, he fulfilled the law, but he he also took that out of the way. Um, Praise the Lord for that. But, Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which in the law blameless. So, well, what does he mean? What does he mean by that? Touching the righteousness which is in the law blameless. In other words, if you had looked at the apostle Paul's life, you'd have had a hard time trying to find something wrong. Yeah, he was living a pretty good life uh, with the law. Now, uh, 
the Holy Spirit, though, hold, and keep your place there in Philippians. I'm going to refer back to this uh, a little bit later. When the Holy Spirit opened his eyes to the fact that the law could be broken just as easily in the heart as it could in the flesh, that's when Paul died. <laughs> yeah, uh, He knew he was a dead man. He, he came to realize that all his effort, all of the, his righteousness... And all of his hopes and dreams were just so much dust in the wind. It wasn't a matter of the acts of sin that outwardly that people could see. He was full of dead men's bones. Uh, he, he knew that he was uh, like Isaiah 64 verse 6 says. He learned the harsh reality that we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags and we all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Now when the lost, through the Holy Spirit conviction by the Scripture, come to see themselves as they really are through the eyes of God and through the eyes of the law of God, it has a way of kind of shattering your self-image. <laughs> Um, and in fact, the, the knowledge of the reality of sin can become overwhelming. Uh, however, it is the first essential step to salvation in Christ. A person can't be saved until you first get them lost. Yeah. Paul, Paul could never have gotten saved until that law convicted him that he was a sinner. And hold your place there in Philippians. Look back to verse number 10 of our text there in Romans 7. Romans 7 verse, verse number 10. He says, And the commandment which was ordained to life, that he thought it was ordained to life, you do it and, and you live, right? <laughs> Don't do it, you die. The commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death because he wasn't really keeping it like he thought he was keeping it. Um. What he's saying is that at one time he had trusted the law to give him eternal life, but in the end all the law could deliver was condemnation, death, and eternity in hell because he could not keep it. He thought he was keeping it, but he knew, he, he knew in his heart that he really wasn't. It looked like he was keeping it on the outside, but in his heart it wasn't there. It just wasn't there. When he looked at the law and at the reality that he was not keeping it and could not keep it, he saw that the law could not save him. It could only condemn him. And the law can be the instrument that God uses to bring us to life. Praise the Lord. But the law itself can never give life because we're lawless. I mean, we're sinners by nature. And, and that's what he's pointing to here. Sadly, this is a lesson that so many in our day need to learn but have yet to learn. Many folks are like Paul was before his conversion, they're trusting in some religious work or activity or uh, something else like that to get them to God, but all of that's going to fail. Nothing can save one soul but Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, Acts 4.12. And for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. Now, look at uh, verse number 11. In verse 11, look what it says. For, for sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Paul says that sin had taken the opportunity uh, the law had given, 
it in the life of in his life and had lulled him into believing that life life lived keeping the law was a life that would be saved. And Paul came to realize that a life lived under the demands of the law was going to bring him death, not life. When Paul saw the truth of his situation, he threw off his dependence upon the law and embraced Jesus as the only means of his salvation. Back to Philippians. Told you to hold your place there. Philippians 3, verse 7. And he's talked about all those things that were gain. You know, he thought was gain in his life. His background. I mean, he thought, man, I'm the Jew's Jew. I'm the Pharisee's Pharisee. And, you know, nobody, nobody's got, got it all together like I do. But, verse 7, but what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and who count them but dung that I may win Christ. In other words, you finally figured out that that's the only way he could have salvation. Verse 9, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His fellowship and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. What a what a eye-opening experience it was. Um, the, the Holy Spirit had been pricking Paul's heart of the reality of this, this guilt. I mean, before the Damascus Road took place, okay, uh, remember where we, where the last place we saw Saul? You, Stephen was being stoned, and they were he was hanging on to the coats of the people that were stoning Stephen. He was, he was all for that that was going on. But can you imagine that the, the law had, you know, thou shalt not kill, <laughs> gripped his heart, and uh, the, the Holy Spirit had been pricking Paul's heart of the reality of his guilt and the reality of the truth of who Jesus is. I mean, here he is. He's basically kicking against the pricks. That's how Jesus put it. On the Damascus Road, when, uh, when uh, he, he saw Christ, and he said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. In Acts 9, 9 verse number 5, I, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. He said, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, that phrase, it's hard for thee to kick against the pricks, that's a proverbial expression for unavailing resistance to superior power. In other words, the more you kick, the worse you're going to get hurt. Right? Uh, uh, Paul had to abandon his stubborn attachment to vain law-keeping that had only further solidified his guilt as a sinner. You want to grab hold of the law? <laughs> Fine. The law condemns you. It condemns me. <laughs> Don't grab hold of the law. Uh, he had to replace that law-keeping with the only one who ever kept the law, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ who died so that we might live. So we, we see that the law reveals sin, it revives sin, it ruins sinners, and then last of all, we see that the, the law reflects sin. Back in our text, in verse 12 and 13, the, the law reflects sin. Paul's conclusion here in verse 12 is that the law is holy. Let's read it again. Uh, verse 12, For wherefore the law is holy... 
And it is. It came from God. And the the commandment holy, that the individual pieces of the law that make up the law, that's all holy because it all came from God. And just, it rightly condemns the sinner, doesn't it? It does. I mean, we we can't measure up. And and it's good. The law is good. It, It prepares the sinner for Christ. When we see that we are undone, we cannot, uh, we cannot live up to it, standards, then you're, you're ready to receive Christ, but not until then. And he says there in verse 13, what was then that which is good made death unto me, God forbid, but sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Let's uh, take a look a, a little closer here. Uh, so Paul's conclusion is the law is holy, just, and good. And it, if there's a problem to be found, it's with the offender and not the law. There are many who do not like the Bible to be preached in its entirety. Okay? They don't like the whole counsel of God. You begin preaching the whole counsel of God, and you show the things that God uh, says is an abomination, they're opposed to preachers preaching the whole counsel of God and calling sin out. There, there are. You can't do it in, in in Canada without getting tossed in jail, okay? And it's going to be before long. Uh, going to be the same way here. Uh, I fully expect to be behind bars one of these days if I live long enough. But uh, it still needs to be preached. Listen, you know, there's there is nothing wrong with our Bible. It's still uh, up to date. It's not out of date. It still needs to be preached, and sin still needs to be called out. The problem is with those who are hearing the Word of God preached and and are having a problem with it because it's hard for them to kick against the pricks. They're kicking against the pricks. The the, the law says that they are undone and they they don't like that. And and the harder they go against it, the harder the law comes against them. Saying, there's the truth. The truth is in, in your life. In verse 13 here, Paul tells us that the law was given to reveal the truth about sin. Sin is so deceptive that it can take the law, which is good, and twist it into an instrument of death. The Bible is clear that the law was given to point us to Jesus. Amen. In fact, in Galatians 3.24, Paul said, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster. Okay? It was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. We come to the law and say, realize, can't do this. I can't do this. Jesus did it. And he died for me. I'll receive Christ. <laughs> and we receive him by faith. The law was given so that mankind could see their need of a Savior and then turn to Jesus Christ and be saved. It was never given as a means to righteousness or salvation. It was given as a signpost to point us to the one who alone is the way, the truth, and the life. We'd never know that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the life except he lived up to the, to the law. Amen. He didn't violate it at all. <laughs> the law can never save the soul, but it can point us to the one who can. The law cannot get the job done, but it can make us so miserable in our present condition that we want to find something better. And listen, there's only one something better. 
that better something is the person of Jesus Christ. Amen? And Jesus fulfilled the law and the righteous demands of the law and then died on the cross for our sins to pay what the law demanded from us. The law demanded our death because we had broken the law. We're all lawbreakers and we deserve to die. Jesus paid our death. Now we can be eternally saved by grace through faith in Him alone. Boom. Shakalaka. I mean, that's, that's Paul's life right before he was saved. That's how he came to know Christ through the law. The kick, kicking against those pricks wasn't getting it. And uh, he came, finally came to Christ. That, that's why the Bible must continue to be preached in its entirety and why sin must be shown for what it is exceedingly sinful and men may uh, you know that we know that uh, they're not going to enjoy it <laughs> you know uh, but men need to see the truth about themselves and their sin and until they do uh, they can never be saved and, and we preach what we do is we preach the word of God and let the Holy Spirit do the convicting I can't convict anybody of sin all I can do is say this is what God's word says and you share the word of God with them and the word of God is the one that delivers the hammer. <laughs> guilty, guilty, guilty. But the Word of God is also the one that delivers uh, the Savior to them. Yeah. That's, how we know, that's how we know our sin, and that's how we know our Savior, right there through that book. Amen? All right, let's, let's pray. Father, we just thank You tonight for...